0: English three two five. A rainy Friday. I've got a warm cup of tea, but no sweatpants. So I'm one for two. We'll talk through the end
1: of the co cat today in anticipation of the midterm on Monday at twelve forty. Popping up on your blackboard. You have an hour to complete the test. Uh, If you have questions about that, for people who are listening in, if you have questions about that, please let me know. Shoot me an email. I'll try to get back to you over the weekend. I'm happy to help. All right, let's get started. I'm going to pull up some some slides here. So we ended class on Wednesday with like halfway through a question. And um, since it's not like a question that's going to be on the exam and we don't really have that much time, I'm just going to kind of leave it off. But the question was about like um, like the different perspectives on the garden scene in the story. And if you're really interested in that, come find me in office hours when we can talk about it. But uh, I'm going to leave it off for now and go to um, the end of the text. So um, like I did on Wednesday, just to kind of orient us to what we read for today, right? So what's happening in this portion, I'm just going to read this off, talk through it, not spend a lot of time on it, right? But in this portion of what we read, Sanford and Eliza, They resume cordial relations and Eliza kind of justifies her kind of going back into the good graces with Sanford by saying like, Oh, he's married. Nothing could ever happen between us. He's, he's got a wife. Um, But then Sanford of course reveals that he doesn't love his wife. So everything kind of like goes back into a really difficult position at that point in the text. Eliza starts to essentially leave and not visit her friends. And she stays behind to spend time with Sanford and Eliza's friends warn her against this behavior as they've continued to do over the course of The novel. Um, We talked a little bit about the idea of marriage being a tomb of friendship on Monday. That was one of Eliza's ideas that, like she didn't want to settle down because marriage quote is the tomb of friendship. You can see how even though Eliza and Sanford are not married at the end of this text, of course, something else has happened between them that uh, makes it such that Eliza is kind of removing herself or retreating from her friends. So she sinks into a depression. Her health is declining. And if you read between the lines, or if you've read enough kind of 18th century fiction, especially women's fiction, you realize that when a young unmarried woman who is like uh, moving away from her friends and becoming depressed, when that young unmarried woman's health starts to decline, that means she's pregnant. So it's subtly indicated to us that Eliza is pregnant. Um, And then we have a revelation of Eliza's relationship with Sanford. Eliza feels bad and she resolves to leave home. And we're gonna talk about kind of why she decides to leave home. Eliza writes a series of letters to her mother and to Julia Granby, she asks for forgiveness. Sanford notes, finally, at the end of all this, that he wants to marry Eliza, but he's worried about her dishonor. Who did the dishonoring, Sanford? Shit, you did the dishonoring, man. But you're worried about it now, what a double standard. Eliza forgives Sanford, but is also critical of his conduct. And then Eliza dies, Sanford's bankrupt, unconsoled by his faith in distinction to Eliza, because Eliza at the end, um, we're meant to understand that like, she has found a bit of consolation in her faith, even despite her terrible circumstances. And we'll go around and talk about that a little bit too.
0: But any questions on the details of what we read for today? Okay, so let's move through some of these guiding questions. Bear with me one second, I gotta pull up uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's
1: okay, I can do that, but I want to pull up a chat too, in case anybody's chats. Okay, so the first question I asked you is kind of a simple one, and kind of unrelated to some of the bigger questions that the novel brings us to at the end here, but I think it's a notable thing to kind of think through and talk about, at least briefly. So, I mentioned in the guiding question that, like, declarations like the idea that Eliza thinks she's going to die right? These kind of might strike us as kind of surprising, but I ask you to think about why these declarations might not have struck readers from the late 1700s as particularly dramatic, strange, or hyperbolic. So Eliza says, what destiny providence designs for me, I know not, but I have my forebodings that this is the last time I shall ever accost you, nor does this apprehension arise merely from a disturbed imagination, so why does Eliza think she's gonna die? Like, why might it have not been shocking or dramatic or strange for
0: Eliza to think that she's going to die being a single pregnant woman in this time period?
2: Because she's gonna be, like, so frowned upon that the depression is gonna get worse and worse, I guess, and they didn't really have, like, like the doctors at the time who could help her either. So it was going to happen either mentally or physically.
1: Yeah, that's actually a really, Caitlin, a really nice way of thinking through both of the options here, both of the, both of the things that we want to talk through, right? So on, a, on the level of like psychology and society, right, American society in this time period provided really little support or forgiveness for women who had children born out of wedlock. And so Eliza is actually completely justified in thinking that like her life is never going to be the same. And in fact, her life might just end because of the fact that what she's done is so, as Kevin is telling us, what she's done is so um, outside of the traditional bounds of feminine behavior, right? So like societally, um, she's going to be an outcast. Right? She's going to not be accepted by anyone around her. She's going to have no support. And so it's kind of understandable that she thinks that she might kind of be meeting her ultimate end as a result of her being pregnant. So that's the kind of social reason. But there's a physical reason as well, too. Anybody want to kind of speak a little bit more to that one? The physical reason, the biological reason, the medical reason for why Eliza might think she's going to die being pregnant in the late 18th century?
3: Could it be that like doctors, like when women gave birth, like doctors didn't have as much like medicine and stuff as they do today. So like, I feel like it was probably often for women to die during childbirth. Mm -hmm. Maybe she's assuming that.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. It's actually like um, the death of a mother in childbirth was actually in this time period, a very real prospect, right? It's something that we now consider to be Relatively rare, right, in, a, in the United States. But in the time period in the 1790s, that would have been something that um, happened with what we would now understand to be relatively alarming frequency. For precisely the reasons that Brie is mentioning, is that kind of we don't ha- we didn't have in that time period the same type of medical interventions that we do now that would allow a complicated pregnancy, what we would call in the 21st century a kind of complicated pregnancy. To um, go off without a hitch and not threaten the life of the mother, right?
2: Question. Wouldn't it threaten the like more the life of the child than the mother? So, could you? Is it fair to say that like because the child is at risk, she is too because of like her love for the kid? Is that like a fair assumption?
1: True. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, in terms of the medical perspective here. The child's life is just as much at risk as the mother's in giving birth in the late 18th century. But yeah, what you're saying, Caitlin, is like if the child dies and Eliza survives, uh, does that also put her in a position where like she feels as if she's going to die, if not physically, then at least psychologically? Absolutely. Yeah, totally. So there's just not as many options, right, for, for pregnant women in this time period, especially pregnant women on the outskirts of society, to receive the type of care which would make it so that um, death during childbirth was not a, a real prospect. So this idea that, like, Eliza would die as a result of her situation is actually not particularly dramatic or surprising
0: for readers in the 18th century, even though it seems to us kind of hyperbolic. Right. Um, the other kind of passage here that I brought up is about
1: why Eliza is happy in death. So she says, I hope, madam, that you will derive satisfaction from these exertions of friendship and that, united to the many other sources of consolation with which you are furnished, they may alleviate your grief. And while they leave the pleasing remembrance of her virtues, add the supporting persuasion that your Eliza is happy." why would Eliza say that she's
0: happy in death? Why does she say that to her friend in this letter?
2: Because she doesn't have to deal with society anymore.
1: That could be, right? That's a kind of reading of the text that moves against the grain of the text, right? That allows us to think about Eliza as this kind of resistance figure as opposed to a figure that is purely um, uh... A moral lesson for young women readers, but so yeah, for sure she could be happy because like because of those reasons, but
0: why else? why else might Eliza be happy in death in this moment Any other thoughts? I mean,
1: another way to think about this is that Eliza is kind of like, she's basically making her friends and her letter writers feel good about the situation. So even though the situation is going to turn out bad for her, she's kind of making the rhetorical move that, would say, that allows for the people in her life, in her orbit, to feel better about themselves,
0: right? To feel better about their actions or their lack of action as it concerns what happens to her. So there might be a kind of like savvy rhetorical move here for Eliza too. But the bigger issues on this slide are that there are really
1: material and biological and medical considerations for why Eliza's death wouldn't be particularly surprising to 18th century readers. And then there are also
0: kind of moral or societal considerations too. Once a woman like Eliza's innocence is lost, there's actually very little hope for recovery. Like she's not going to be accepted back into society. So like, even if she doesn't, this is kind of goes back to what Caitlin said, but even if she doesn't have a kind of physical death,
1: she is going to be like um, uh, subject
0: to what we might call a social death. She's not going to be accepted back into society after having this child. Because of the nature of 18th century American culture.
4: Wait, so so the readers like would probably just like kind of expect it to happen. Like they would be like, oh well it like makes sense because she did do all this like bad stuff. So like they wouldn't be surprised because it seemed like that it made sense and like with the series of events.
1: Readers would have been conditioned for
2: decades to understand that this is. What has to happen to
1: Eliza, not just that it's what's going to happen to Eliza, but it's that what has to happen to Eliza, right, because readers would have read over and over again other books. Um, in the genre of the seduction novel right and since this book aligns perfectly with the plot of the seduction novel when readers pick up this book, they know that Eliza's going to die. Because the purpose of the book, by the way, and this is what we're gonna get to by the end of class today, the purpose of the book requires that Eliza die. Right? Because the purpose of the book is to have the young female readers who are reading it understand that you can't do the shit that Eliza did and get away with it. Right? Eliza has to die at the end of this book for the book to serve its purpose. So yeah, readers would have been completely understanding and acceptable or they would have been
0: totally... um, accepting of the convention that Eliza was going to die. They would not have found it surprising at all. It has to happen. Any other questions about this? All right. Okay, let's move on to some bigger issues, and uh, at least one of these
1: questions is one of the potential questions on the midterm, so I want to be able to get to it and and speak speak to it with some clarity. Um, I think it's the last question. I'm not sure about this one. So, once it's revealed that Eliza has died, what I'm suggesting to you is that the tone of the novel changes. I want to think about how the tone of the novel changes, right? And I ask you to think particularly about how Sanford and Lucy speak directly to readers. Um, What are they saying and why, okay? So, I believe the first one is Sanford. Sanford says, let it warn you, my friend, to shun the dangerous paths which I have trodden, that you may never be involved in the hopeless ignominy and wretchedness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then Lucy says, from the melancholy story of Eliza Wharton, let the American fair, the American fair is the American young woman, let the American fair learn to reject with a disdain every insinuation derogatory to their true dignity and honor. Let them despise and forever banish the man who can glory in the seduction of innocence and the ruin of reputation. To associate is to approve, to approve is to be betrayed. Okay. What happens in this portion of the text? What is no longer
0: here and what gets replaced? What's the tone of these passages? Who is being spoken to in these passages?
3: So from um Lucy speaking, like being that Eliza's dead, like now they don't have like Eliza to like talk to. So I feel like now they're talking to the readers and like hoping that like the readers are gonna be like young women. So she's like, Don't do this, like this is why you're gonna die, like don't trust like bad men kind of thing.
1: Yeah, this is the moment where the text turns away from Eliza's story, of course, because Eliza has died, right? The text turns away from Eliza's story. And what it turns toward, as Brie is telling us, what it turns toward is the readers of the book. So it's almost as if Lucy kind of like becomes less a character in the novel and starts to be the teacher of the readers of the book and says, as Brie is saying, hey, don't be like Eliza, right? Don't associate with men like Sanford or it's going to lead to your ruin, to your seduction and
0: to your ruin, right? So what's gone from the end of this book, right? Eliza, literally speaking,
1: right? Eliza is literally speaking gone from the end of the book. She's dead. But what type of narrative is also gone from the end of the book? If all of the characters now are speaking directly to the audience, what are the characters no longer doing?
2: It's like no longer a seduction novel. It turns more into like a precautionary tale. Like if you take part in these actions, you'll turn out dead. Yeah,
1: good, a fine distinction there. It's, it's still a seduction novel because all of the seduction novels end with this lesson being taught. But Caitlin, as you're pointing us to what happens is at the end of this book, it turns completely and entirely into a teaching lesson. And what is no longer there at the end of the book is a story, right? There's no plot anymore at the end of this text, right? There's no plot, there's no narrative, there's no story. Eliza is dead, so there's no more tale to be told. Since there's no more tale to be told, all that's left, as Caitlin is mentioning to us, all that's left is the lesson to be taught, right? Since there's no tale to be told, Eliza is dead, all that's left is the lesson to be taught. So we might say if we're inclined to interpret the nature of how the story ends that when Eliza dies, so does the novelistic character of the text. When Eliza dies, so does the novelistic character of the text. Why would that make sense given how Eliza has been characterized over the course of the novel? Why would it make sense that when Eliza dies, the novelistic character of the text dies as well?
4: Um, well, Eliza, like, viewed her life kind of as a story, so, like, when you, like, read through, like, the beginning of it, and, like, even, like, all the way up until the end, like, it's very, like, frivolous and exciting and, like, enchanting, and, like, the readers are probably, like, like, they expect what's gonna happen, but it's still, like, fun for a while, um, because, like, even Eliza, like, tells her friends that she feels like she's living in a story, and then when she dies, like, the story is literally over, like, her life is not, it's like, doesn't exist anymore. Precisely, it makes perfect sense
1: that the novelistic character, the kind of adventurous, fun, plot-based portion of this book would die when Eliza dies because throughout the entirety of the book, as Josie is telling us, throughout the entirety of the book, Eliza is aligned with and characterized through her identification with novels, with stories with adventure, right? So when Eliza dies, the plot, the story, the novelistic character of the book dies as well. And when all of that novel and plot and adventure
0: goes away, what's left is just simply the moral, the lesson that you're supposed to take. It must always be thus. It has to be that way. Right? Because
1: the purpose of the seduction novel is to teach young women to not be seduced by men like Sanford. Right? So you have to get rid of the story at the end, and you have to harden
0: and make as clear as possible the lesson. Does that make sense? When Eliza dies, the story dies with her, right? All that's left at the end is the
1: lesson that readers are supposed to take from the story. And so it makes perfect sense that at the end of the book, we're no longer kind of experiencing a plot-based novel. We're instead experiencing characters basically looking directly to the camera, like The Office
0: style, and just addressing the reader, right, breaking that fourth wall. Okay. Okay, let's move on. This actually next question kind of
1: plays nicely with one slide left or two. No, just this one. Yeah. This last question plays nicely with um, the question that we just talked through. So events like Eliza's death are revealed in a really mediated fashion. So I actually want to go back all the way to Monday, if you guys can recall. What did we say about the epistolary novel and how it mediates actions in a book? Anybody recall that or if you listened in or if you were there on Monday? What did we say about how the epistolary novel mediates the events that are told in the book?
4: Um, Well, we're kind of like with that type of novel, we're like hearing the story through someone else's like specific understanding of situations. Like when Eliza writes to Lucy, like we're hearing... Like, this, we're hearing the event that occurred with, like, a lens over it that's, like, different than just, like, hearing it objectively, so it's, like, kind of mediated because we're not getting necessarily the exact, like, occurrence, like, especially with, like, the garden scene, like, there's, like, different views of what's happening.
1: Precisely. So, no, yeah, that's exactly right, Josie. So, no, I, no event in an epistolary novel is ever not mediated because all of the events are being narrated after the fact by the letter writers. right? So that's how, yeah, go ahead, Jen.
2: We also said that it was like secondhand reading in a way.
1: Yeah, that's a great way of thinking about it. That's another, a really smart way of thinking about the nature of mediation is to think about it as kind of like secondhand experience. right? Because we are never, as readers, placed in the moment of the event. We are always coming to the event after the fact through the letter that's being written. And because a letter is being written about the experience, we know that that experience is being filtered or mediated through the psychology of the letter writer. Right? So that's how the epistolary novel connects to the idea of mediation.
0: I wanna think through that a little bit more in the events of Eliza's death and how it's revealed to us. So,
1: Um, Not just her death, but also the revelation of her affair and what's happened with Sanford and everything like that. Okay, so I bade her good night and went up to Eliza, who took me by the hand and led me to the toilet. Not to, toilet in this time period doesn't just mean like literally the toilet, it means like the place where you get ready for the day. It's like the the bathroom. It's weird weird when you read this and you think that Eliza is leading her to a toilet. It's not quite that, or maybe I just find that humorous and nobody else really cares. I bade her goodnight and went up to Eliza, who took me by the hand and led me to the toilet, upon which she laid, like she lays two letters. She's not laying them on the toilet. Just want to make that clear to everybody. (laughs) Upon which she laid two enclosed letters, the one to her mama and the other to me. These, said she, contain what I had not resolution, to express, okay. The material in those letters, right, is Eliza basically saying, hey, here's what's happened with Sanford, and here's why I'm leaving, okay. Why doesn't Eliza just reveal the affair? Why don't we get a letter where like Julia Granby or something is talking through Eliza's revealing the affair to her? sorry how would it change things if eliza revealed the affair just through a letter
2: because what eliza did was so bad like i kind of got the impression the last few words of this quote i what i had not the resolution to express that the content of the letter what eliza did was so bad she can't let women read it because it's so frowned upon and so bad that they can't know what it said and then if eliza were to have like write a letter about it to Julia Granby. It could have been like, not, it could have made her more of an outcast since she already would have become anyway.
1: Yeah, great, okay. So let's think through, this is exactly right, okay. But let's think through this, um, uh, not for its effects on, like if Eliza was to reveal it, let's not think about its effects on the other characters, but let's think about its effects on the readers of the book. So to go along with what Caitlin is saying, if there was a letter in this book, or if Eliza's letter was just printed in this book that revealed the details of the affair, all of these things that Eliza did not have resolution to actually speak and express, um, what would those details be? It would be like um, a really scandalous, saucy, potentially at the margins, a kind of sexy thing, right? I got together with this guy who was like, like I was really attracted to and that we had a lot of fun together and we made some mistakes and now I'm going to run away with him because I can't be with you guys anymore because I feel ashamed about what I've done. Why can't we have that letter in this book given what we know about the purpose of the book which is to teach a lesson?
2: Why can't Eliza just like say, hey, I had some
1: great sexy time." with
2: Sanford. They don't want to tempt women. Say that again, Caitlin? They don't want to tempt women in the time period to do the same thing.
1: Yeah, anybody want to add to that?
2: I think the whole point of leaving out the details of the letter is because they know if they include it, that almost makes it seem okay. And by leaving it out, it leaves the reader, it leaves it up to their imagination about like the terrible things that she did. Whereas if they spell it out for you, then you're like, oh, she didn't do anything that bad. We've all been there.
1: Oh, potentially, although from the 18th century context, as an 18th century reader, it would have been, oh, really scandalous and terrible, right? Yeah, so-
2: I, I think more of what I meant, not that we've all been there, was that like, like what you said, um, it's like tempting almost, yeah. um, but it doesn't make it seem all that terrible. It makes it seem um, almost fun.
1: Yes, we don't want to make what Eliza did seem fun at all. That's, that's directly against the purpose of the book. And so if we were to reveal in this letter that Eliza kind of like took advantage a little bit of her freedom and had a good time and like rode around on a really nice carriage and had a nice night with Sanford and then you know some mistakes were made and she's going to deal with it, right? If We read that as 18th-century readers. What are we losing? What are we not getting by reading that? What we're losing is the lesson. What we're losing is the moral. Because the lesson or the moral becomes wrapped around and potentially inextricable from the event or the experience. We can't talk about the event or the experience because maybe the event or the experience is something that we might like. Or to use Sav's term, something that we actually don't think is that bad, right? So by not expressing it at all, it makes the experience or the event seem as bad as possible. Something we want to stay away from,
0: okay? Right, like why do we watch shitty TV and and read shitty books?
1: It's because like we want those kind of salacious entertaining experiences, but at the end of this book can't be entertaining. It has to teach, right? We can't hear about sex at the end of this book, right? If we hear about sex, we're not going to be able to learn the moral. So that letter cannot be expressed. It has to be explicitly set aside and only pointed to and hinted at through intimation and mediation, okay? So that's Eliza's affair, but let's talk um, about her death. It's kind of the same idea, but um, in a different register. So um, this is after Eliza dies and the family is learning about how it happened and the fact that it has happened. In this situation, we continued till a neighbor sent us a Boston paper. Mrs. Wharton, the mom, took it, and unconscious of its contents Observed that the perusal might divert her a few moments. She read for some time when it
0: suddenly dropped upon the floor. So, what happens in this scene?
4: Um, Is the mother like reading the letter that Eliza left for her and then she like drops it to the floor, probably in like shock because she can't even like take it? Like, what it's whatever is like being said is so. Horrible and shocking that she has to like drop it on the ground and can't even read it like finish it
1: The second part of that is exactly right She can't finish it because the contents of what she's reading are so shocking um, So sad so appalling that she has to kind of drop it to the floor in panic and shock But it's not a letter. It's actually the the paper. She picks up the paper. and She starts to read it. So what is she reading in that paper? That Jen go ahead
2: the death of her daughter. Yeah. And like where it it happened. Exactly. And then like, it starts to say that it must be Eliza's death story. Right.
1: Right. So what Eliza's mother reads in that Boston newspaper is basically the announcement of her daughter's death.
0: Right. But importantly, what do we as readers not get? We get Eliza's mom reading the story and dropping the paper, but we don't get the the paper. Yeah, we don't get the paper, right? Is that Sam? Sorry to talk over you. You wanna add on to that,
1: Sam?
2: No, I was just gonna say we don't get to read, like we don't know exactly what her mom is reading, so we don't know, like, Oh, I was talking and I was on mute. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, We just assume it's really awful that whatever Mrs. Borton is reading about her daughter's death is just so bad. And we're just, we don't get that content. We don't know what's being said.
1: Exactly, right? And so as we continue to think through this idea, we're going to think through why that is. And it has to do with what we just talked through with the affair portion, right? So we don't get the details of Eliza's death there, okay? So... The fact of Eliza's death, the way that it's announced to us as readers is through a series of mediating levels, right? We don't get narrated to us the fact of Eliza's death or the experience or event of Eliza's death. We get Eliza's death, the the experience or event of it, narrated to us through a series of mediating layers. And in this passage, there's actually two mediating layers. So what are the mediating layers in this, in this
0: passage that we just read that gets us to the point where we begin to understand that Eliza has died? Like we have the fact of Eliza's death, but that layer is shaded to us, right? Because there are layers
1: of mediation that keep us away from the actual experience of Eliza's death. So, what are those layers of mediation?
4: Um, okay, so the it's being read like through a newspaper by Mrs. Wharton, and then we're reading it in a letter from I, I don't know exactly who wrote this part of it. It was either Lucy or Julia, probably. I think it was Lucy, and so we're getting it, or maybe you know, maybe it was Julia. I don't know. It's so Julia. we were like, yeah. So we're like getting it through, like. Through that person, through the, like Mrs. Wharton reading the newspaper. Exactly,
1: right? So there's two, at least, layers of mediation between us as readers and the experience of Eliza's death, right? So as Josie is telling us, it is Julia Granby writing a letter about Eliza's mother reading a
0: newspaper about Eliza's death. We are way distanced from the fact of Eliza dying.
1: And then on the very next page, even more layers of mediation are introduced to us, okay? So we get a little more detail about what's happened to Eliza, but we get it in a very particular way. Eliza's brother has been to visit her last retreat and to learn the particulars of her melancholy exit. He relates that she was well accommodated and had every attention and assistance, which her situation required. So we're learning a little bit more about Eliza's death,
0: but again, we're learning it through various layers of mediation. What are the layers of mediation here? We have Julia Granby writing a letter about what?
2: Eliza's brother being the one to get the details, but we don't know what he's going through and what details um, he has received.
1: Precisely. So it's Julia writing a letter about Eliza's brother going to the
0: place of Eliza's death and asking still another group of people, how Eliza died,
1: right? So another like two or three layers or levels of mediation here. And we still never get the particulars of her death, right? We hear that she was well accommodated, et cetera, et cetera, but we never get the particulars of her death. So again, it's a letter that talks about how Eliza's brother went and talked to other people about Eliza's death. And so what this sets up for us at the end of the novel is this like strident refusal on the part of the novel from actually giving us the particulars, the details of Eliza's death. Why would the book be so insistent on mediating Eliza's death in this way? There's a couple of good reasons, but why would the book be so insistent I'm mediating Eliza's
3: death. Could it be that, like, so, like, let's say she just died of, like, natural causes, like, she could end up gaining sympathy from readers and, like, the author wanted her to be seen as, like, a bad person and so, like, to have separated herself from her family and then die and now, like, we don't know how she died, like, can't allow us to have sympathy for her. Like, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense.
1: Nice. So, yeah, if we were given the story of Eliza's death, where basically she's outcast from her family because of one bad mistake, and she has to move into another state, basically, and like live essentially by herself and give birth to a child that no one's going to be able to care for with her. And she dies in the midst of that childbirth and so does her child. Like if we were actually given those events and narrated those experiences, we would be sad, right? Just like if we were given the experiences and the events of Eliza's affair with Sanford, we might be titillated, right? If we were told about Eliza's death in particular detail, we might be sad. We might have sympathy, to use Bree's word. We might have sympathy for Eliza.
0: Why can't we have sympathy for Eliza?
3: She's supposed to be the bad guy.
0: Yeah. She is the person that we are
1: not supposed to model our lives after. And so we can't feel sympathy for her when she dies. Her death is supposed to be a lesson for us. Right? So all of these layers of mediation, what they do is they provide enough information for us
0: to get the lesson but not enough information to get the person, right? Enough
1: information to know the lesson, but not enough to know the person. Because if we began to know the person, we might feel excited. We might feel sad. We might feel ashamed. We might feel depressed or happy. And all of those emotions are gonna take us away from the ability that we have
0: to learn the moral or the lesson of the story. Anybody who was around on Wednesday or who listened into
1: Wednesday's class might be able to think through the connection that this point has to what we talked about on Wednesday with regard to emotions and irrationality and speech and rationalism. Can anybody think through that connection if you've had a chance to to so listen in already, or if you're here.
3: Like how you were talking about how men, when they like feel emotions, they compare themselves to women. Yep. Like, they, like they lose their masculinity.
1: Yep. And when, and when we are overwhelmed with emotion, what happens to us? Like what happens to Boyer when he's overwhelmed with emotion? He loses his masculinity, but that is um, demonstrated through what physical act?
2: He can't speak.
1: He no longer can speak, right? And as we know from Franklin during this time period, speech, talking between people, debate, disputation, persuasion, that's the height of learning, right? So when we can't speak, when we are overcome with emotion, we can't learn. So how does this connect to the
0: point we just made about the end of the book?
4: Um, well, I guess, like, as, like, readers, if we're, like, reading and seeing that, like, emotions take away from being able to, like, logically and rationally think, then, like, that could be applied to us as readers to be, like, emotions are taking away from our own understanding of the lesson. So, like, the, like, women that are reading this, like, the young women, like, if they're too emotional about it, they won't they won't understand that what happened was like a bad thing and that they're not supposed to do what Eliza's doing because they'll be like overwhelmed with emotion so that they can't think rationally.
1: Exactly, right? The whole idea here is that we cannot introduce emotion into the description of Eliza's affair or the description of Eliza's death because if we introduce emotion into those descriptions, then we are not going to be able to learn So we have to be completely cold and rational at the end of this text. We can no longer have that plot. We can no longer have that story. All we can have at this point is the lesson. And if we're gonna be able to teach that lesson, we have to get rid of all of the emotion, right? We can't talk about how it's sad that Eliza dies or how it's exciting
0: that she has a good time with Sanford. Right, because we have to be able to, le- to learn the lesson. Okay, that's the big idea that we want to
1: get to at the end of this book and with this question is that the layers of mediation allow us as readers to better understand the lesson because they stridently and strategically refuse to allow us to become emotional. And if we become emotional, we are no
0: longer able to learn. Right, so what mediation does is it gives us the lesson, but doesn't give us the person. It
1: doesn't allow us to sympathize with Eliza, because if we're going to sympathize with Eliza, it's
0: going to be harder for us to understand the moral of the story. Any questions on that? Um, A smaller reason why her death is mediated in this fashion
1: one that's less important, but that is also part of the reason why, is that if you were to just kind of in the 18th century, very descriptively and luridly narrativize and tell the story of a young mother's death and childbirth, you're not really giving much dignity to that person in death, right? You're kind of taking advantage of that situation. And so by like basically shading our eyes from Eliza's death, we're
0: giving Eliza a measure of dignity at the end of her life. So that's another another reason why that happens at the end of the book.
1: So, like this is a story that at its heart is about sex, betrayal, catastrophe, and death. But at the end of the text, you would never think that's the case, right? Because you do not have entryways, you do not have access. To the events
0: that give us a sense that the book is about sex and death and catastrophe and betrayal, right? Because those experiences are never narrated. Cool? All right. Uh, enjoy your weekend. Go put some sweatpants on and find a blanket.
1: Uh, if anybody has any questions for me, I'll stick around here and I will be in office hours later today as well. But have a good weekend. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Have
2: a good weekend. Thank